This is a CW Spiral, a podcast run by two Barchies and a Bughead. We're your hosts, Sabrina Reed, Michael Patterson, and Reed Gowden, bringing you history about the network, the latest news, and in-depth spoiler-filled discussions of some of our favorite shows on the CW. Okay, so we have a very, 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 very special pod episode for you guys today. It's all about 90210, but first we're going to launch into some news because once again, we have to just toot our horn. The mole is doing its job. News got back to the CW and guess what they're doing? After our comedies. <laughs> <laughs> we were right. Procedurals. And did we find out that the teen drama is not as dead as we thought it would be? Yes, yeah. which was surprising, but I'll take it. Yeah. Anyway, it's starting to feel a little bit more familiar again, which is good. But yeah, it's so cool that like we predicted this yet again. I mean, Ali McBeal last week, I know it wasn't CW, but somebody's listening to us. We know what we're talking about. <laughs> exactly. I love being on like the same track um, and I feel much more settled um, than I was before. I'll give them a chance with the I'm assuming it's going to be the single camera comedies we're not going to try for multi-camera because they want to be cheap so we're going to have like a set or two yeah i mean they could try both and see what works just throw everything against the wall and see what sticks um but i have to say i like being like i feel like we're the voice of reason like there's just so much like confusion and everyone's like freaking out and then we're here we're like we'll do what we can we can like pitch the path forward that we see and it's good to see that as more information comes out, it's less scary than everybody thinks so far. I mean, we have yet to see any material, but so far it sounds like it's not as scary. Yeah, it does. It definitely feels like they're trying their, a new thing, but at the same time, they're not completely losing what they were. And if they can make that middle ground work, I think, touch wood, everything will be okay. <laughs> <laughs> I say <it> tentatively. <laughs> oh, it's funny though, is they... We're going with another period piece because like news also dropped that they're like the hat pin society got greenlit and that's coming from um, crazy ex-girlfriend co-creator and like executive producer Rachel Bloom and Dan Greger and Alyssa Aaron. So this should be interesting. I didn't imagine suffragettes would be making their way to the CW, but they will be in our future. I'm surprised it took this long though for them to reteam with Rachel Bloom. Mm. It feels like that should have happened sooner. So I'm glad that it's happening at all. Like if there's somebody that they want to help lead this new era, getting one of your most critically acclaimed creators and one of your only stars who's I think won a major award seems like a pretty good like indicator of what we can kind of expect. That's true. And it gives a bit of, prestige to them yeah uh, because she is critically acclaimed it also i think sort of settles the masses that were like and i believe we were one of them which is that it cannot be a male-driven network because it hasn't been and so you can't like just suddenly like shift focus um I will say, though, as much as i am anticipating the suffragettes so they need to tell the real history and that it was a movement divided um they still need a female-led superhero show so get on that yeah yeah i mean like you we went from like four to none overnight um this hopefully is a step in the right direction and i by the right direction i mean the direction they were already heading in and then pivoted from um i'm intrigued by the hat pin society in general and um, it feels like they're hope 
it suggests that they're hoping that something like Walker Independence will be a success now that we have another female-led period piece, and I'm all for it. It does seem almost risky for your first new original show to be another period piece, but like I said, clearly they have faith in it, and the pieces are there. I just hope they pull it off right. Yeah, and I guess I'm tentatively excited to be going to 1909 New York City with um, what is it? The description is that it's going to center on a motley legion of suffragettes who fight for equality by day and vigilante justice by night, seeking revolution through any means necessary. And I'm like, OK, guerrilla tactics in <laughs> like, New York City. Like, what's the tone here? <laughs> I mean, now that you've read that description, that definitely sounds like a CW drama. And I think that's a good thing. But I wouldn't have expected it to be a period piece. Yeah. No. I think the most interesting thing here, too, is, shouldn't bury this lead, is that they are developing it themselves before taking it out to a studio mm-hmm. to produce, which in the past, it's always been Warner Brothers and CBS kind of like setting these up and then they partner with CW. So again, this is, really the first um thing in the new era where we're like oh this could go to any studio that's true and i guess that also means checks and balances because it's very clear that there aren't any for the show well i guess there are some for the showrunners on the cw but they kind of do what they want and that era might be a bit over which i guess is fine considering some of the content we've gotten over the years yes i'm specifically talking about roberto but that's like it for the cw news was just fine like by us uh but we do have a little little something special i uh, got to interview vanessa morgan and we talked about the gold bond campaign for my scar and my story and some riverdale season seven teasers Got a little bit of tea, y'all, and we're gonna share it. So the gold bond campaign for the hashtag My Scar Story um, is a very beautiful way of recontextualizing our relationships with our skin and um, any scars that we may have. So what um, what has the campaign meant to you? What has the campaign meant to me? Well, um, I had a C-section. Um, what was it, 19 months ago now with my son, River. And because of that, you know, just my body growing, stretching, having a scar from my C-section, I had to look at my body in a whole different way. And I really connected with Gold Bond's um, campaign of My Scar, My Story, um, where it's encouraging people to share their real skin stories, embrace their imperfections, embrace their scars. And I don't know, after I gave birth, my whole mindset changed um, into what is my definition of beauty and scars are beautiful. And I just really started embracing motherhood and that came with embracing who I am and my body, regardless of any imperfections. Um, So that's kind of why this campaign is super important to me and why I'm hoping it'll encourage other people um, to share their scar story and their real skin stories. That's cool, especially the uh, tattoo that you got in honor of that story. Um, How did you settle on the word Kintsugi as the tattoo you would get? I've wanted it for years, actually. Um, I just, it's something that I thought was really beautiful, how, um, you know, Japanese pottery that you repair the broken pieces with gold and it's considered more beautiful for having been broken. So that's what that word means. 
And I just feel like my body is so much more beautiful for birthing life and going through surgery and having a scar. I look at that scar and I think, you know, that this is my canvas. This is a beautiful story. Um, and that scar um, is just a reminder of how strong I am and I'm more beautiful for that. So it was just the perfect word to kind of honor my scar. I love that that's the word that you chose because it does reflect the, um, that your body is your tapestry um, and yeah. that it is something that changes and grows um, and that uh, everything is the perfect comes with the imperfect. And it also comes with the, it's the road to the story that you're building throughout your years. Exactly. It's the journey. And that's what makes life beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So what would you, what would the advice be that you would give to someone who is trying to reframe how they see their scar um, to try to see it in a more positive way, but they're struggling with it? If they're struggling with it, I think, you know, I guess it just comes down to changing your mindset, rewiring your mindset around the whole thing. Like this is your journey. This is your life journey. You, maybe you got in an accident, maybe something happened. Maybe you were born with that scar, whatever it is, that's uniquely you. And that makes you no other person will have the exact same scar that you have. That is your skin. This is your avatar that you're in. And if anything, it's just, yeah, it makes you that much more different than anybody else. And I find that beautiful. And when you embrace that, that confidence, that energy that you put out into the world is beautiful. Confidence is what beauty is. People get attracted to that light, the more confident you are. And, you know, the more you embrace yourself, the more others will be drawn towards you. So I think if you just change your mindset around it, I think that could really help for people struggling with that. I think that's true. Um, and we're gonna, I'm going to pivot a little bit to Riverdale, but you had mentioned that um, confidence is what attracts people um, to someone. And I feel like that's mainly why people are so attracted to Tony Topaz as a character, the confidence that um, she embodies. Uh, I know in that case, that would be the character you play in Riverdale. And she's changed so much um, since we were introduced to her in season two, um, especially in the finale for season six. Um, she's everything to Riverdale now. Uh, what was that like, like having to save the town with her friends, then having to give her body up to her ancestor and then protect her family that includes her now grown son, Anthony? It's a lot. I mean, you know, Riverdale, like there's so many different, now there's different timelines, there's different dimensions going on. Um, I have loved how Tony has always consistently been a confident, strong person um, before it was a strong student and Southside serpent and now mother. So I think, you know, she's changed a lot. She's grown a lot. Um, you know, maybe she's not as uh, you know, even though she's still really strong, maybe she was more like rebellious in her <laughs> years, but so she's definitely a bit more stable now. But um, yeah, I've loved playing such a strong, independent uh, female character. And I love how now she's become a really um, key and uh, key, you know, character to the Riverdale storyline. And I, it's going to be interesting seeing her go back to high school, but like high school with a twist, um, as in the 50s. Do you have anything on your wish list that you hope that she gets to experience in that era? Oh, I don't even know. I, 
I, do, I don't know. I think it's just so exciting. Um, the fifties, you know, I, I'm just excited to see what they do. Um, I do know there's probably going to be a lot of, um, tension with, you know, when it comes to race relations and things like mm-hmm. that, so I have a feeling in segregation. I have a feeling maybe they'll touch on, on that. Um, which I think would be really, really cool to, you know, to show that history um, that happened in America. So maybe there'll be something of that. Maybe there'll be love triangles, like who knows, but I'm just excited to see what the writers come up with. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to the costuming um, mostly just to see what her in the hair in the hair for, um, what, and what she is going to look like um, in the fifties. I'm assuming cigarette pants, maybe in your future um, or perhaps even a poodle skirt. Who knows? Uh, but is there anything that you are hoping before the season, before the series concludes for Tony that you have in your mind that you'd like to see her either achieve or uh, settle into? I would love to see uh, parents. I would love to see her have parents. <laughs> so, because we've met her grandma, we've met her grandpa, we've never met Tony Topaz's family or siblings. Siblings would be awesome. We just don't even know if she has that. So if we could just, you know, go more in depth of besides just partner baby and actually knew a bit more about her life, that would be pretty awesome. It would be because we have been with her for um, since season two. So this is the final season being able to feed, see the full expanse of what her family dynamic may have been, even if it's just in the fifties or I would hope fingers crossed in the present um, that we'd be able to experience that with her. Um, so you did tease what's going to be, what we could possibly expect in season seven, but as far as, um, but as far as like, I have to ask, uh, Choni goes. We did see that there is a bit of a spark that may have um, ignited between the two of them in the finale. Um, and you did mention love triangles. So should should Fangs be concerned? Um, with the love triangles? I, I, I definitely think that you, there, there's possibly probably going to be um, some tension there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely think I definitely think Shoni will be a thing um, in this new season. I just have, that's just me having a feeling about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I know the shippers will be very excited about that. Um, for uh, my final question, uh, since Riverdale is coming to an end, do you have any big dreams of where you, what you want to do next once the show ends? Um, what I want to do next once the show ends, I would love, um, to dive into other characters, um, maybe some like action movies. I've always wanted to play like a superhero. I'm not going to lie. Um, but also writing, I am writing a script right now that I'm really excited about. So I would love to, you know, um, have that come to light. Maybe, you know, people can see it on their screens when they manifest that. Um, and yeah, that's kind of what I'm looking forward to just, you know, constantly working and, um, and uh, yeah, on some exciting new projects. Awesome. So we're manifesting um, a script coming onto one of our screens one of these days. And for a Marvel or DC phone call, do you have a preference or just any superhero? Well, I've, they've already done this one, but like if I, ha- I would have said it would have been Batwoman. 
uh, um, but that's already been done. But as you know, as an firm, which I know they're in that cast. So, but you know, something in that realm one day would be really cool. Maybe a new superhero that we haven't seen. Oh, awesome. Okay, then manifesting that as well. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, it was lovely talking to you, Vanessa. So nice talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. So it was fun talking to Vanessa, but what's also going to be fun is turning it over to Professor Gardens for our 90210 crash course. I'm so excited to give a little oral history of 90210. It's my personal favorite show on the CW so far ever. I don't think anything's going to surpass it. Um, but yeah, I just, I feel like it's super underrated. And so many people just think of that first season and it kind of, unless you stuck with it, I think that's like, there's not as many of the people that watched the first, maybe just the first episode and were like, no. Um, but yeah, I wanted to kind of celebrate it on its 14th anniversary which um, some people are probably like, why the 14th? That's not as exciting as 15th. I just really like the number 14. And it's kind of a, it's really, I'm really weird about these things. I felt really connected to the show with the number 14 because it ended up having 114 episodes. And when that happened, I was like, this is like a sign from the universe. Like this is my favorite show. Like it was so weird. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's why we're celebrating the 14th anniversary. Nanotuno premiered on Tuesday, September 2nd, 2008, which is a really early premiere for this mm -hmm. kind of show. Um, so yeah, it had the same premise as Beverly Hills 90210, which is a family from the Midwest moves to Beverly Hills, California. And it's all about that uh, culture shock. Um, and it had like the same exact setup too with like the family dynamic where in the original, it was a family of four a mom, dad, brother, sister, and they were Brenda Brenda, and Brandon were twins. This time it's Annie and Dixon who are the same age, but Dixon was adopted by the Wilson family. Um, and the connection to the original, because this isn't just like a flat reboot or like remake. It is like, it's like a, it is a reboot, but it's kind of a spinoff. I wouldn't call it a revival or like a sequel or anything, but um, Silver is a character in the new 90210 and she is the half sister of Kelly and David who were step siblings in the original. And um, Kelly does show up in the reboot played by Jenny Garth, who is an icon. Um, so yeah, she's the silver is like the, the bridge between both shows and she's now goes to West Beverly Hills high school where her half sister is the guidance counselor, which makes sense. It's canon because Kelly had a, went to college for psychology. Just throwing that out there. Got to put some credibility on Kelly's name. <laughs> <laughs> some connections so she doesn't yeah. just pop out of nowhere. Yeah, there is like an age discrepancy that I have with Silver though, because she, her name is Erin. They call her Erin in the original series, but um, we'll get into her characterization later on when we talk about the pilot. She likes to be called Silver. Um, but when she was born in night, like I think season two or three of the original, which would not really make her the age that she is in the reboot. I think she would be like a year older, but I mean like splitting hairs, it's fine. Um, okay, so further into this oral history, 
there were so many behind the scenes changes that I don't, unless you were really paying attention to the show, you really didn't know how there were like so many cooks in the kitchen and to extend the metaphor, I think there were multiple kitchens. (laughs) So many, so many people had like thoughts of what this show should be and how it should, uh, how it should present this new modern story. So the show was fast tracked as soon as the idea was brought to the CW. Like, I want to say like it was ordered in March 2008 and for it to have aired by September is just obscene. Like that's crazy. Um, So the original pilot was written by Rob Thomas, who was the creator of Veronica Mars. But before the show aired, Gabe Sachs and Jeff Judah, who had written uh, for Freaks and Geeks and they created the ABC teen drama Life as We Know It, they became the showrunners. So there was already like, they kept the shell of what Rob Thomas created and then just completely redeveloped the what the series was like around the characters. And it was kind of, it was very in line with the how the original was in the beginning because the original series, I think some fans like to think that it was, they when they think of the show, they think of the high school seasons, which is only the three seasons of that original show because it was 10 years. But in in the beginning, it was like there were really it was issues based and there were family stories because it was about the Walsh family. And they were trying to do that again with the Wilsons. Um, But it was, of course, edgy. And you had to be in 2008, you had to be a little bit edgy and like (laughs) do some things that you can get away with in the CW. Um, But it was still really close to the original and didn't really have its own identity. It was just, I say the season one was a mess. I have a deep love for it, obviously. Um, But for the most part, it was just the characters a little bit 2D and it was really um, plot driven. Like the characters were reacting to things that were thrown in their path Mm -hmm. rather than like Mm -hmm. really developing in any sort of meaningful way. Um, but that all kind of changed when in like the back half, I want to say that maybe the last quarter of season one, Rebecca Kirshner, at the time her name was Rebecca Sinclair. She stepped in as the new showrunner, I think. And like, I don't know what episode she started in season one, but she came in in season one and sort of like was starting to do some like spring cleaning and like she brought in Naomi's sister and like she started to like really mix it up and make it more of what it would later become. But she became the showrunner for seasons two and three. And she had previously worked on Freaks and Geeks as well. And also Buffy and Gilmore Girls. So Mm. like we can trust her. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, she retooled the entire show. Like she overhauled it. She changed the look. She changed even like the font of the opening like the credits when it says the cast name like she changed the complete style of it like she hired new writers she built new sets she like completely changed everything and she saved the show and unfortunately I think too many people who were turned off by season one didn't get to see what the show would become uh, which is so unfortunate because seasons two and three were like must watch CW television. Um, But I think the best things that she did was she ditched the peach pit because what they did, I'm going to be real right now. 
what they did to the peach pit and the reboot was really <laughs> a travesty. In the original, it was like this cute, like 50s themed diner. It was like a throwback retro thing. That's where they hung out and they turned it into this like cutesy, like cafe. Oh. It was just too much. I did not like it. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she ditched that and she, um, she brought in the beach club, which was a staple in the original for seasons two and three in the summer season. So they didn't really hang out there, but they did for the rest of seasons two and three, at least. That was like one of the main sets and one of the main locations. And there was much more like um, on location scenes like outside, which gave it a better sense of place. Whereas there were maybe this is for like security reasons in season one, because there's a lot of media attention. Like when you're making a new 902 and 0, like the paparazzi is going to be on the set. So there was a lot of like just sets and it didn't, it looked really fake <laughs> in season <laughs> one. Um, but like they got to go to the beach and they got to like, they, they changed the school exterior set. Um, it was no longer, I think they used the school from the original series in season one, but in season two, they used the school that was used in the OC, which was, I think it's a college in somewhere in California. It's really pretty. Um, so it gave it a different, uh, a more grand look. And there's also a new opening title sequence, which is, I remember hearing about this. This is just an aside. This is a memory. I didn't get to watch the season two premiere live because I don't remember what I was doing, but I had to go to something after school. And the day after at school, I was in class and my friend was telling me about the new title sequence in the way she was describing it because it's it's very like quirky and out there like there's different things spelling out 90210 and she was describing it to me and I was like are you making this up this sounds so weird and I remember getting off the bus and like running home and <laughs> turning the episode <laughs> on the DVR to watch it um, but yeah I think that the opening the new opening sequence which they kept for the remainder of the series was really successful mm-hmm. in kind of it tells you more about what the show is and the style and it's it's really fun it's nothing like i'd ever seen on the cw um and the original one was they tried to play into the original and then they just used like old footage of the cast that was it was like before they even shot the pilot so like silver's not in character and she's like hanging out it was just like it was it was really weird um, I never really liked the season one opening credits, if I'm being honest. I like them. That's the thing. Like um, some of our supplementary material, you guys, that we gave us, one of it is the the difference between the opening sequences and the second one feels like a um, like a bumper, you know, like that would play in between the episode right before, like right when you come back from commercial. And I liked it, but I was like, maybe I just like the old way they do title sequences where you see everybody pop up like in the colors and then their names under it. But the second one is sort of the new direction that TV was going in where they weren't doing all of that. Yeah, it was very colorful. And it took me a while to like, to come around to like how they changed the, the actual song, the iconic song. It's very like bubbly. It sounds literally like bubbles, um, mm-hmm. but it's very colorful. And it, it was just, it really matched the vibe of where the show was going. Um, and another thing that I've always noted about seasons two and three is that it seems like there was a bigger budget. And if there wasn't, then um, Rebecca Kirshner was just um, 
using the existing budget more wisely than they did in season one. <laughs> and that's not a drag. That's just an observation. Um, and she's, this is a, a quote that I've always really loved that she said, um, she said about season one, the show tried to be a lot of things to a lot of people in its first season. I think the center lies with the generation of kids that are in high school now. And that is piping hot tea because I was, um, I was the same age as the characters in the show. Um, and although I never really could relate to them, like I still wanted to see more at something that was more targeted to me. Cause it, 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 she's right. Like it, they did try to cater to the original audience and then to the new, it was just, there was, they were doing too much in season one and it really needed a refocus. Um, but unfortunately she left the show after seasons two and three and season four and five, the final seasons, uh, Patty Carr and Laura Olson, who had worked on Private Practice, Life Unexpected, Reba, Beauty and the Beast, and Rain, so many CW shows. <laughs> they were the new showrunners. And um, they were kind of, a the, the those last two seasons were a little bit of a downgrade, but I still really love them. They're really exciting seasons, far better than season one. There's a lot of focus. I think season four did a lot. They were the college seasons. I say that with air quotes because <laughs> they kind of, stop talking about college about halfway through season four. <laughs> uh, it was like implied that they were going to class and only there were a, a, like half of the kids decided not to go to college, which was like, I feel revolutionary for a teen show. Um, but yeah, those seasons, even though season five wasn't intended to be a final season, they did a lot of, they did their homework, the Patty and Laura they went back to season one and they did a lot of fan service. There was a lot of callbacks, which I, as a longtime fan appreciated that they like brought stuff like back that had been kind of buried or just like forgotten over the years. And it was really, it was a really special season, even though it's, it's not the greatest season, but I love it. Um, in, in addition to showrunner changes, the cast changed quite a bit, not as much as Dynasty. <laughs> <laughs> but in the beginning, there were rumors that Hillary Duff was going to play the role of Annie, although I was doing more reading and apparently she said that wasn't true, but maybe she was offered it and she just, I don't know. Um, but the role ultimately went to Shanae Grimes-Beach, who I love and I'm glad she got the role of Annie. Um, something that's really interesting to me is that Dustin Milligan, who played Ethan, was the first actor cast um, before Annalyn McCord, which iconic, like they found their Naomi like right at the beginning. Um, but continuing the trend of like season one being a little bit messy, Ethan left at the end of season one. I don't know if that's a spoiler to you guys or like a shocker, <laughs> but like he leaves after season one and Liam, who you guys didn't meet by watching the pilot, he's played by Matt Lanter, who I think you guys know. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. I've seen yeah. him. Everyone looks familiar. Yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. We definitely. <laughs> yeah, he was like the new leading man. It seemed like they were struggling to find their Dylan and Ethan. I love Dustin Milligan, but Ethan was a really sad excuse for a a, um, a Dylan who was played by Luke Perry. Um, he, Ethan wasn't like bad enough to be the bad boy, but he was like doing bad things. But he couldn't like. It was hard to like him, and he also. 
he dated two of the main cast members and then liked a third of the girls by the end of season one. So it was like, we really burned through too much story and he needed to yeah. get out of here. Um, but yeah, and then in season two, two new characters, Teddy and Ivy, who I love so much, um, are added to the cast. But like, luckily, the core cast of the teens, in air quotes, um, were locked for the whole series. So everyone, all the kids that you met in season one, besides Ethan, stuck around for the whole series, which is kind of um, unheard of, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in season one, also tried to, as I've said, cater to the original audience and brought back, in the end, only three characters, Kelly, played by Jenny Garth, Brenda, played by Shannon Doherty, which was a huge get because she was only in the first four seasons of the original and she hadn't been in the oh, wow. show since season four. So getting Brenda back was huge. And Tori Spelling came back as Donna for a couple episodes. And yeah, that's pretty much the history. Although I, I also want to say too that something that Rebecca Kirshner did in seasons two and three that I didn't realize until doing a full watch of the original series is that she honored some storylines like she didn't rip them off she just kind of like did a nod to some of the storylines and that's not something they ever really did in season one or even seasons four and five I don't think but there were some storylines where it was like oh so they were kind of like doing winks to the original series within the narrative instead of trying to be very heavy handed with it. But yeah, that's my history of 90210. I'm sure I left a lot out, but um, yeah, that's like what nobody really talks about in like the later half of the series, like all the behind the scenes stuff. That's really cool though. Cause like with Rebecca coming in, it feels like in the interview, she's like, I have like three binders, two mood boards and a vision for the future. <laughs> give me the show and I will give you a, a, a wonderful product that stands on its own. Yeah, she came in with a vision where I felt like there wasn't really a vision besides like, let's get 90210 back on TV and everyone kind of like scrambled. And I mean, that's a huge task to undertake for any producer. So like my hat is off to Rob Thomas and the Gabe Sachs and Jeff Judah because that's a huge undertaking. I can't even imagine like the network notes they were getting studio notes they were getting like everything like I can't even imagine and like for her to come in and just be like I can help steer the ship in the right direction I've always like even at the time I remember like really idolizing her because I was like you saved my show and made it something even greater (laughs) (laughs) it's really interesting hearing about the history because I know over here when 90210 started it was it had a lot of big promo over here. I'm pretty sure it was on E4 or Channel 4, one or the other. But And then I knew about its reputation that uh, it wasn't exactly what people were expecting and that it was considered lackluster and a lot of people would have considered it a flop. I didn't know that it went on and actually got better afterwards. It was only recently I found out that it did run for five years. And I was like, how is that a flop if it ran for five years? Did you hear uh, from me? <laughs> probably. <laughs> <laughs> you enlightened me. Um, uh, but yeah, and that's actually pretty impressive. And it does say a lot to the showrunners that took over afterwards that they managed to turn it into something that stood the test of time. I do think it does sound a bit like Batwoman and then it got better after season one, but because of the sins of season one, not as many people were watching as they should have been. So it, history may not be kind to it, but it, I'm, I'm glad that it turned into the show you wanted it to be. And I'm glad that it lasted that long because five seasons is nothing to be sneezed at. Mm-mm. And then I wonder if the water got poisoned 
um, because people who went in with certain expectations didn't get what they wanted. And so then we're telling people, oh, it's bad. And it's like, well, maybe let go of your expectations and just watch the show. Mm -hmm. um, And I know that we're kind of learning that now when it comes to reboots, even though, of course, people do have um, their feelings in a reboot if they really like the original and may not tune in if the reboot seems like it's it's sort of name only and there's nothing that they're giving that is going to make you feel like the show that you enjoyed before. But at the same time, maybe because we are living in the era of reboots, remakes and revivals uh, in hindsight, people like, like if you have, if you gave up on it in the, two, the late two thousands, come back to it now yeah. um, with fresh <laughs> eyes. Yeah. I feel like I want to say this is one of like the first like big like reboots. I don't know. Maybe I'm, mm. I don't know. I think so. I feel like it is because they weren't as like, common back then as they are now um so i know like the audience was kind of split like there were 15 year olds like me who were just watching gossip girl era cw like looking for the next teen soap and then there were the fans of the original who probably grew up with it from 1990 through 2000 who were so the show was only off for eight years so they were maybe 20s 30s so they were a little bit older maybe even older than that and they came in maybe expecting more more Brenda, more Dylan, maybe Brandon. And like they were expecting something like that or a better um, representation of the show they loved. But I mean, again, it's hard when a show is being made to cater to 15-year-olds and 35-year-olds and trying to like marry all those worlds. Like it's not going to be done. So if you're like, this isn't the show I remembered, it's like, of course it's not because it's it's 28 years later. Yeah. Is that the right 28? I don't know. I can't do math in my head, but it was a long time. <laughs> 18, 18, right? I don't know. Yeah, 2008. 19, yes, 18. 19, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> That's kind of where um, people are at with the Gossip Girl the HBO Max's Gossip Girl and then like comparing it to CW's yeah. and it is funny seeing like late twenties, early thirties folks like arguing with new Gossip Girl fans who love the HBO Max version. And it's just like you have to let the teens have this one. Just yeah. let like it's their Gossip Girl in the same way for nine hundred two one zero. It was y'all's nine hundred two one zero, and the older fans were like, "You either continue to watch, or you just it's not for you anymore. It's okay. Um, just yeah. tune into what it gave you. Gave you." It's always so funny to me when I see commentary that's like this is nothing like what my version was like and it's like well you have your version already mm-hmm. and no one's taking that from you nothing that happens in a reboot can hurt you <laughs> true but uh do buy the dvds if they're available y'all like <laughs> we are living in the air with things that can pull off of streaming if you do not have the box set yeah go get the box set thankfully, thankfully i do like that was my annual treat to myself when the show was airing is like Every time the DVDs of 902 come out, I'd go to Target the day of and buy them. <laughs> nice. I miss that era. Um, no, but I totally get where you're coming from because I know that um, the iconic um, Crystal versus Alexis fight from Dynasty Season 1 was a recreation of the actual Crystal and Alexis fight in the, the original Dynasty. And all you have to do is look at the comments on the, on the YouTube video to say, this is not the show I watch. This is horrible. Why is this so overdramatic? And like, it's two completely different generations watching two completely different shows. You know what I mean? 
love how they're calling one soap over dramatic compared to another soap right exactly <laughs> and then I, I out of interest i did go back and watch the original crystal and alexis fight from the original dynasty and whew, yeah i wouldn't be saying that's a good thing no offense <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah no it's, it's, it's two different generations and of course there's going to be that clash when it comes to that kind of thing because people have their own version of what it was and maybe 90210 was a little bit more susceptible to it because like you said the original show had only been off the air for what eight years so of course those fans were going to go after they'd left their show for what they thought was the end come back to it and then be surprised by maybe what they got whereas then the young ones tuning in would be like why is there so much family drama i don't know from what they were expecting to be like a, a teen soap so i just think it, it deserved a little bit of like a grace period while it figured out what it needed to be because if we've all seen the pilot now it did it did kind of need some time to figure out what it wanted to be a great pivot into our pilot discussion mm, yes. so i'm <laughs> thoughts prayers <laughs> uh, i liked it it was actually refreshing having like grown up in an era where we, you know we started with um normal problems in teen dramas to then like tran- um, transition into the problems are at an 11 and they sometimes involve supernatural situations. It was nice tuning into a pilot where like the biggest things happening was plagiarism. <laughs> and like, and like a, a and love child. Thing. Yes, and a love child. It was like, it was, it's very like low stakes for the teens. I really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. And I, I, I watching it back, it's, it's really interesting hearing some of the things you said, Reed, because I had some similar thoughts while watching it. But I will start with exactly how Sabrina started and say I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. And it did, it really took me back to that era of television. I think in 2008, it's a lot of people would have said, why is this trying to be that? And why is this trying to be that? But I will say I watched that and it reminded me of that kind of era of TV, even though maybe it was a little lost for its time. Looking back now, it definitely reeks of that kind of like late uh, 2000s kind of television. Um, it was a lot of fun. And yes, it was low stakes. But like like we like we said a few weeks ago, the reason those teen dramas work so well is because, yes, it's low stakes. We're not dealing with supernatural entities or whatever, but they're very high stakes to the teenagers in question and the characters in question. So it felt like you were watching their story and you, you did end up rooting for them in the end. I really liked that. And I, there, I do have some notes that we will get into it, but I did want to lead with, I really, really liked that. My heart is so full so far. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know like it's a very one, a flawed show, but like that's any show and it's a flawed uh, pilot. But this episode is such a time capsule to me because every single song in this in this episode, I downloaded on iTunes. 15 year old me was like downloading them on iTunes and listening to them. That Adele uh, song cue at the birthday party, which I'm sure we'll get to a discussion about that scene. Um, it, that's when I discovered Adele and like my life changed. Like that chasing pavements moment was incredible. Um, but yeah, I told you guys before, like, this is one, I think the episode of the single episode of television that I think I've watched the most because not just like when it came out, I remember like for that whole week, um, of its premiere, I think I watched this episode at least like 10 times. Like I remember my brother, like not even seeing the episode, he would just hear me like, you're watching it again. I'd be like, yeah, leave <laughs> me alone. I'm watching it for a fifth time. <laughs> 
but I, this is like an episode that like I could probably recite it in my sleep like I've seen it so many times like it just brings me so much comfort it's that, that episode of tv that I can just turn on and for like 40 minutes I'm 15 for and everything else goes away um but yeah it is kind of um all over the place but I, it just like it was nothing like what I was experiencing in high school and I think that's another thing that I really appreciated too Mm. Yeah, I, it's fun it's a lot of fun and the song cues were amazing though I will say if you watch it on cwtv.com you will not get the song cues that um Reed is talking about oh no you didn't yeah. get the Adele moment yeah no no um that's another reason why it reminds me of shows from that era because the whole media versions always had different songs than the ones oh, that are on tv that's so heartbreaking <laughs> sent me the original i want it now <laughs> and the coldplay opening so like so i had the subtitles on and it had that coldplay song that um viva la vida yeah that like everyone was listening to it but you can't actually so it's saying it at the but the lyrics are at the so bottom but it's a it? different song no but it <sighs> that song's a great intro for the show though <laughs> just, i was just like i was reading this i was like if i could hear this this is an excellent music choice for the beginning of this series but i could not hear it. i don't remember what it was playing but it's oh, not that song. That's such a have, bummer. I had no idea. <laughs> I should have watched the E4 version. I'm telling you, I would probably have heard it. Um, no, but I do agree. It, it, remind, it reminded me so much of that era. And I obviously, I didn't watch it at the time, but it definitely reminded me of the kind of program that would be on back then. And it, I, would def, I would have watched shows like that back in the day. And it made me want to watch more. I like flaws Ooh. and all. It really did. And you sent us the final scene from the series. And I was like, Which do I do I want to click on this? Do I want to? I don't want to spoil this for myself. So I think if there's a test of whether I enjoyed the show or not, my uh, doubts whether I should click on the final scene does highlight that I, I wanted to stick with the show. Um, and I think I it's on my list now. I will say that. I really enjoyed it. Oh, Wait, did you hit play though? Did you watch the final scene? I did, I did. I went with okay. it in the end, yes. I, I, I did my homework. <laughs> <laughs> I love that final scene. Oh, that's it's the, so dramatic. The uh, the One Republic song. I remember they used that song before it became a hit. And it just, every time I watch it, it gives me chills because that song is so like bittersweet and romantic and the way I'm getting chills thinking about it the way it pans out with his voice at the end and it goes into the sky oh it's just everything um but it it sucks that it, it was a rushed ending um but it still works for a series finale um mm-hmm. but every time I hear that song I lived on the radio I'm like no turn it off because I don't want to I don't want to hear it again it's 90210 <laughs> song <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least we got that song right. The, the version, yeah. of <laughs> and it, it it does such a good job of scoring the scene and um, how important. And it is like there's a really wonderful like moment happening, an engagement happening. Spoiler alert! Um, but the but like it's you also know it's the end of the show, so you mm-hmm. feel like like um, I haven't even watched the series like like that, and I'm sitting here like I'm on the tarmac with them, and I'm I don't want to <laughs> say goodbye. <laughs> I know it was so sad that episode um did you guys notice in the pilot a certain someone makes a cameo yes um and not the way I thought yeah (laughs) yeah that scene is scandalous we don't have to go into that but it was Meghan Markle (laughs) and I was like 
hey, Megan. <laughs> like, I assume I'm not going to see you again, but hey. Yeah, I don't think she popped up again in season one. Um, but yeah, she definitely left a lasting impression on the show. Right. <laughs> I was surprised that first for all of like the 30 seconds she was on screen, her actual name was on the opening guest credits usually they would leave someone for for the closing guest credits and I was like is she coming back and then I was disappointed that she didn't show up again (laughs) I don't think I know that um I don't know if you saw in the credits in I watched it again with you guys so that's like another watch in my long line of watching this episode (laughs) the credits are like part one part two because that the series premiere aired with a a two-parter with episode one and episode two but you don't really need to watch episode two to like get like it's not really a two-parter it's Mm -hmm. they just aired two episodes Mm -hmm. um but i can't remember if she pops up in episode two which would make sense if she had her name in the credits but i don't know you're right that is weird that she's in the credits Mm. but it's a it's a cameo that everyone talks about (laughs) (laughs) uh i didn't know she was in it so i said that no that was a surprise (laughs) glad i didn't spoil it for you guys (laughs) Yeah, that was. I was like, I wonder when I saw that line and I saw like the cameo, and I was like, oh, I wonder who it's going to be. I did not think it was going to be her. And I did not realize it was going to be in that way. But, you know, <laughs> it set up this storyline about Ethan and um, Annie seeing something she wasn't meant to rather well. Mm-hmm. It served its purpose. <laughs> who are your favorite, least favorite characters from what you've seen? Hmm. Who do you like- think my favorite character is? That's a, a two-part question. <laughs> Naomi is, I'm assuming she's I would have guessed that time. She's one guessed. of my favorites and the way they develop her is so amazing. I know some people might think of Annalyn based on that poem she released this year, but the way that she devours this role as Naomi is the way um, she keeps developing her into they make her sort of comedic as the show goes on more like mm-hmm. Fallon what we see as Liz as Fallon that's kind of how Naomi develops um I kind of went off on a tangent about Annalyn because she's really good um <laughs> I do love Naomi but Silver is my favorite uh not like I liked her from the pilot but again they develop her really well as the series goes on I like that no I liked her as well um I'm trying to think I really liked all of the characters. I don't know if we're supposed to, um, but <laughs> I. Uh, it's kind of like Dynasty in that a lot of people are like patchy, not so great people, but yet you're still end up rooting for them in the end. Um, I, I really like Naomi now because I think the character, when she came in, I thought that, that she was going to be portrayed as quite one dimensional and they do quite a bit of character work in that one episode alone. So by the end of the episode, you're like, yeah, I could really get behind her. And, and Annalyn played the character really well. I have to say, I really liked her. That scene at her birthday party when she's reading the text, that shot mm. of her reading it is one of my favorite shots of the whole series because Annalyn just gives you gives it all, mm. gives it her all, mm-hmm. gives you everything. <laughs> um, another fun tidbit that I want to share with you guys is sort of like a dorky like TV thing is that um, when season two opens, there's quite a contrast. So when season one opens, the first people we see are the Wilson family, right? But when season two opens, the first person we see is Naomi running on a beach toward an older man. That's a not so great storyline, but it's her daydream. And like we meet her in um, summer school. That's a whole long story. I won't get into it. Um, But it's they consciously shift 
the perspective from Annie to Naomi, which I think mm-hmm. was no shade to Sinead because she's amazing. A really wise choice because Naomi ended up being the stronger character compared to Annie. So they really put her in the forefront and she was kind of like the de facto lead moving forward of the show. So I think that's really interesting. Like we don't even see, I don't think we see Annie in the season two premiere. I wish I would have made you guys watch that episode, but I didn't want to give you too much homework. Um, We don't see her until like maybe like five minutes into the episode, which is like, looking back, I'm like, oh, that's, they were really intentional with that shift from the get-go. They were, and I can see that even coming from like the pilot. Um, Not that I didn't like Annie, uh, but she is sort of a character who she's like wide-eyed and she's coming to this new world and she's not as fast-paced as them. Um, And so it's it's easy to sort of get attracted to the other characters and want to know like what's going on in their home life. I think the moment that I knew that I liked Annie was when you're on when you're in a stage with her and she's doing the spring awakening moment and she just lets go and she's overshadowing the other girl. And, and, and it's like such a mess, but it reminds me of like (laughs) teenagehood where she's like, she thinks she's killing it. And like in comparison to the other girl she is, but it's, she's killing it in a way that a teenager would. And and we're not thinking about everybody else. It was just really great. Before we move on from 90210, I have to ask Sabrina, who were you shipping? If anyone, I didn't ship anyone. I got vibes though that I wasn't sure about. Um, first off, and this isn't about ships. My favorite dynamic is is Annie and Dixon. I love them as siblings, mm-hmm. and so that was like the dynamic I was really into. And I was like, okay, so that's my like that's my sibling vibe. Where is the ship? And I was like, I don't have a ship, but I have. I like, does anything happen between Naomi and Ryan Eggold's character? Because there was a vibe there, and I was like, she's underage, so no. No, thankfully. Thankfully, uh, Mr. Matthews never hooks up with a student. Although, okay, he kind of did in season one, but it was an undercover cop. (laughs) 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 So like, but when it came out that he was like dating the student, even though he knew it was undercover cop, he like, he lost his job for a little bit. He does come back, Um, but his character is only in it for the high school seasons and he leaves by season four. So that's a bummer. I really like him. I liked him too. I mean, he's a little too irreverent for me. I was like, Sarah, you're going to end up in the class, the office with a bunch of parents. If they did ever tell you, tell them what you say to them on the regular. But um, I just saw those two and I was like, this, if we were going the way the teen dramas typically go, y'all going to end up in a broom closet by episode 10. And I don't want it to happen. <laughs> he does um, date and I believe have a child with Naomi's older sister when she comes okay. in in season two, which, oh my God, I love her sister. She's incredible. And then um, just more spoilers. I believe if I remember this correctly, Mr. Matthews ends up with Annie's mom. So Lori Loughlin. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that's how they leave the show in season at the end of season three. They like move to Paris together to raise his son. <laughs> <Okay>. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's just like really, out, really. Out. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> we'll just go with that. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's a soap opera for you though. Yeah. yeah you never know true. where it's going to land. Oh my God. I, if I, if we had like another full like hour, I would just like tell you guys everything that happens and just like watch your brains explode. Um, but we don't have that kind of time. <laughs> no, uh, but so 
you asked me the ship question, but do you have like a big ship read that you fell in love with and stayed through the whole show with? Not in season one. I didn't care about Annie and Ethan. No. Um, and then when Liam comes in, he originally dates Naomi. I didn't really love them together, um, which I that might be a shock to you guys that Naomi and Liam had a thing after seeing the Annie and mm-hmm. Liam get engaged. Um, I liked Annie and Liam. He kind of was like weird with her in the end of season one while he was dating Naomi. Um, and there's like this whole thing. But I did really like them. I really liked in season two, Silver starts dating Teddy. That's one of my favorite. They do date, but um, I don't know how much I want to give away. Um, he Okay, I'll just give it away. He comes out in season three. So, and that's another thing that like develops that friendship and that relationship. Um, and I, I, even though it's not like a ship that ends up together, quote unquote, I really love that relationship and seeing how they both navigate because there's a love there. And even though they can't be together anymore, once he comes out, like she struggles with it, but then she's like, I'm your ally. I love you so much. You're like, we're soulmates. I love you. Like, I really love how they, the show handled that friendship and that relationship, even though season four kind of, I'm getting memories. It kind of like complicates it all over again i really i really love that relationship <laughs> that sounds nice actually that they were able to do that in a way that's not like gross like you know like where we i'm assuming that they didn't do it that way where it, yeah. they um they make it such a big problem that you have to fight like and have really weird conversations you know i like that it transformed like the love that she already had just yeah. pivots you know and it's not yeah, like an, i'm assuming it's not like an angry thing she was kind of hurt a little bit because the way he came out was kind of a lot. Um, so she oh. was kind of like um, hurt a little bit, but she she sees how much he's struggling and she's like, that's more important than how I feel. So they have this really important conversation at a bonfire and it like solidifies like she's like, I'm regardless of how I feel, I might still be processing it, but I, I'm on your side. And I, I, that's why Silver's one of my favorite characters because she's kind of queer coded. Um, but she's like that character that I feel like anybody can see themselves in if you're like the outsider. Cause she's mm-hmm. the, she's the rich girl that's mean about, or she's mad about being a rich girl. And she's like, I'm not a rich girl. <laughs> <laughs> she's trying to be like the every girl. Um, but that's why I love her. Cause I can, I saw myself in her the most. She does too much. She's like, she's like, how do I describe her? Because I remember she was prickly, but then you could tell mm-hmm. like she's very vulnerable. Yeah, and she's she has a, a gooey center. Yeah, and a wicked sense of style. I really liked her her outfits. I mean, it was obviously very 2008, but I'm yeah. like, if I had watched <sighs> that, I wouldn't try to emulate everything she wore. And it gets even better. That's another thing. They really changed the styles. Like they elevated. It looks less like teenagers shopping at like, in season one, it was like a, a attainable style. Mm-hmm. for teenagers but then they kind of elevated it a little bit in seasons two and three where it was more aspirational but it was still oh, like um relatable like the way they dressed um but oh she cuts her hair in season two it's amazing oh the bob she, right yeah she's a bob, some yeah. Clip. It was and then nice. it gets even shorter in season three which oh, i always love the way they used silver's appearance to um characterize her more than any other character i feel like i can see why she's your favorite yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know I've championed Jessica Straub on this podcast before. But oh yeah, I always loved her. Yeah. 
she was one of the many faces when I was watching. I was like, I know you. <laughs> you look familiar. <laughs> All right. So um, I don't really want to leave 90210. No, I'm <laughs> uh, But we do have to go to Horseshoe Bay where a lot happened. Like a lot, a lot happened because uh, I'm assuming this is the mid-season finale of season one. It's that like it, right? Yeah. 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 Um, where do we uh, even start? R- yeah, a traumatic experience. <laughs> <laughs> do, we, yeah, do we start with the ship, the ghosts, the end cliffhanger? <laughs> okay, let's start with let's start with the ship, just so I can get my Nancy and Nick yep. feelings out of the way. This is a place uh, for healing. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, because you know what? I cried. <laughs> like, it, 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 the breakup happened, and I was sitting there like with tears running down my face, <laughs> and I watched it like five times. I was laying down watching it, and then when the scene started, I was like, I got up. I was like, oh, it's happening. It's happening. <laughs> my thing, it, though, is like she was surprised that it was happening, and I was like, Nancy, girl, wake up. It's been like, you've been putting this boy to the, pushing him aside like you had to see this coming a little bit yeah i mean i feel like she didn't though and i was just like girl okay so you should have known when the coins melted and he looked at her and she's right. like i'm so sorry the girl the breakup is it's that was coming. the final straw yeah he had had enough was. and like i support him fully like i can't defend nancy on this one i can't no yeah <laughs> yeah no i totally get that and um they did the big dramatics, angry stir he had when she was like, oh, the coins have melted. And then the next scene kicked off and obviously things had calmed down. You know, like, can they find their way back from here? But I think the the line that really solidified it was when she said, I didn't know that was going to happen. And he said, I know that and I can't blame you for that. But if you did know it was going to happen, you would have done it anyway. And like, I think that summed her up 100%. The greater good was always going to be more important to her than the relationship. And I just think that was the breaking point for him he really read her with that line. And mm-hmm. I think she needs to internalize that instead of like, I, I don't think she, she didn't react to that. Right. She didn't defend herself or anything. No, I think no. she just, I think Kennedy just gives this great look. Cause what I, do you say? Yeah, yeah. I need her to internalize that because it's, it's true. As much as you want to be like, no, I wouldn't do that. It's like, Nancy, let's, we're among friends. We can admit that <laughs> you will stop at nothing. Yes. <laughs> and that's okay. That's who you are. Admit it. Like, that's fine, but just be honest about it. And I like that he, like, he acknowledged this. When she said, I'm trying, he acknowledges that she is. It's just not enough. And I was like, girl, how bad, how down bad do we have to be that we're trying? And even the trying isn't enough because it doesn't feel like it's enough. Like, she is trying, but she's trying to the extent that, like, if he needs her, really, really needs her, she will be there emotionally. But, like, if it has to do with what is important to him, it has to fit her agenda. And if it doesn't fit her agenda, it's like, I'm so sorry. And she thinks the sorry is enough. And the sorry Mm -hmm. is at some point an apology stops being enough. Yeah. And I think what the episode did a great deal or a great job of was it did show that she was making a great deal of effort to try and be different. She, even when she was denying him or she was like being secretive, you could see that like kind of conflicted look in her faces and like, 
I'm being honest about it here. I will tell you eventually. And I think that's more than we've got from her so far. But what I also think is what Kennedy did such a great job with some quiet performances throughout the episode. And every time Nancy pushed back against Nick and he then pushed back against her, it was like, we're not on the same team or why do you keep doing this? There's just that quiet moment while he carries on talking, Nancy's in the background, like, as in what do I do here? She's still like shocked about it. She still doesn't know how to do it because you can see she is putting in the effort to try, but at this point, it's just not enough anymore. It's not. Did anyone else pick up on Nancy and Ace vibes like heavily? Uh, He seemed to be bothered when he was on her laptop and the email popped up. And we hadn't seen the email yet that it it was about what Laura had put around town. And he's like, and then kind of just turns the laptop. And I was like, why are you bothered her boyfriend is emailing her? Yeah, they share a <laughs> lot of looks in this episode. And, and a text like, message. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. okay. I, <laughs> we, move, we move fast with ships in this app, in this show. Right. <laughs> did, did you see the text thread where he commented on her dress? Like she, the only thing in that text thread is that she says no to something that he asked her for. But he's been texting her. She's just not responding. And he mentions that. What is it? I saw you. I think I saw you go into the to the house. Um, if that's you, nice dress or something. I, didn't, <laughs> like, I couldn't no. tell what the what the text said. <laughs> oh, I paused it because um, two of our listeners were like, "You guys need to start paying attention to what comes up on the text messages." I from this saw point those. Forward. I saw Kennedy tweeted about she was like the text in season four, and I was like, "The text in season four? So obviously that's a thing, and then I'm going to start paying attention to that. Yeah, yeah it's exciting. This I feel like this was definitely the most we've obviously been watching it with like with with her Nancy and AS goggles on, waiting for the moments and the crumbs. But I feel like this is if you weren't watching it, this is the with like that. This is the episode that they kind of became that kind of entity is the wrong word, but like they had quite a few moments where it just felt like it was just them two in the room. And even though it wasn't the kind of moments you'd want if you were shipping them as a couple, it's just it's the most that dynamic has been explored. There's like uh, Nancy's had quite a few interesting dynamics with the other characters, but Ace has usually been in the background being the waiter or the chauffeur, whereas Harry was actually like a full living, breathing character in her orbit. And that's the first time I kind of felt like it about them too. So I'm really, she doesn't trust him now. And she was like, why didn't you tell me? We, we could have worked through this. We could have found a way around it. I would have helped you find a way around it. So I'm really interest to see where that dynamic goes next obviously we know where the like final chapter of that dynamic so far is but i'm really looking forward to seeing how it gets there because that was the first time i really saw them as like a purring if that makes sense yeah can we talk about the juxtaposition of that next to nick in nancy with nick asking three times for her to open up and she refused but her being mad at ace for not opening up to her in the way that is very similar to um what nick wanted from her yeah, when she, um, oh my God, that scene where she's like, how can I trust anything you said? First of all, I hate that line in TV shows. I'm like, can we like move <laughs> on from that? Can we just like <laughs> stay in the moment and not be mad about that? Um, but I was like, Nancy, he really has you pressed. Mm-hmm. And he was pressed back because he was upset that she was upset. And I was like, y'all don't seem to have the relationship where this conversation yeah. would have happened. Yeah. But it's happening. So what, and what's going on with me like with ace and nancy behind the scenes that we don't know about and potentially the rest of the drew crew don't know about was this the, like the first episode where they called laura ace's girlfriend because they kept saying your girlfriend so. and i was like when did that happen 
mm-hmm. thought they were just making out in the in the refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's definitely wanted to set it up so that now that they have that kind of relationship, he can doubt her. Because the moment that Nancy's dad came in and revealed all that information about Laura, I was like, is this trying to say that she could be the murderer? And then literally the next scene, Ace was like, how do you know if your girlfriend's a murderer? It's like, okay, we are going here after all. There was um, so much information. Like we learned the truth about Ace. We learned more about Nancy's dad. Like mm-hmm. it was like information overload in a good way. Like I wasn't overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed by like things were changing and happening so fast. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't like, there's just so much. Um, I have to, okay, wait. I have to say one little small Ace thing because you guys know I love Ace when he was hacking into the library and he was like, I'm in. And Nancy was like, how'd you do that? And he was like, I used my library card. The look she gave him was <laughs> hilarious. And I watched it like three times. <laughs> it was so funny um, because like it's, she, she gets so excited about like hacking things or stalking things. And she was like ready to be prepared and impressed. And he's like, library card. <laughs> Kennedy's face journey it went from like eye rolled to like amused and I was yes. like that feels like a good tease of their relationship dynamic I hope <laughs> yeah <laughs> I know the power of the library card though by the way by the time this drops y'all it will be um library card sign up month so if you have not gotten your library card from your local library you should do so yeah <laughs> I will be doing that awesome <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but speaking of um of like a lot of people like information about people it was really nice to get more about george's mom and having Bess be the one to remind george that like yeah she's not really present but like she's dealing with a lot mm-hmm. i love that that one line was really powerful and it shook george loose a little bit to kind of like because mm-hmm. it's hard to see like when you're in it you're like she's not a kid but like you you are the kid and you're like why is this the dynamic why is this happening to me and she's like really annoyed that this is her life and then Bess is like she must feel so alone and then George is like oh crap my mom's a person <laughs> <laughs> I know and it was just a little moment and the like with the you okay I think said more than anything because you can see George has been kind of like conflicted over that relationship with her mom before but I think she wasn't sure whether she should show that kind of emotion. And again, it's just a little text saying you okay. But I think that's the furthest that relationship has been pushed. So that's one of the most interesting dynamics on the show. And it's really cool to me that they're get bringing the mom, Victoria, is that her name? Into yeah. the storylines, into the storylines more regularly. Um, and we keep saying this is the episode where the supernatural really sinks in. This is the episode where the supernatural really sinks in. No. This was the episode. This the episode was terrifying. Again. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. There was the a hands. jump scare whenever what, it was Nancy and Nick were in, I don't know where they were. It was yeah. like a warehouse or something with the coins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wait, I that was, there was a jump scare. I was horrified the way she ran for that, the coin. I was like, Nancy, don't do it. She did it. And she was like, Sydney Bristow, a Charlie's Angel. I was like, <laughs> you go. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. And wasn't it, was it when Victoria came in and then she was like, there are evil spirits in here and they were all like, no, there's not. And she was like, yes, there are. And then, then you had that, that was the jump scare. She was like, ah, and you saw the spirits all like hugging the Drew crew from behind. And I was like, oh man, this is going to be a dark episode. And it really was. The seance too. With the dragon face. (laughs) And then when she grabs her, when Lucy grabs her, um, Nancy's wrist 
like I jumped and, like, yeah. and it's just, it was, they did so like, you could tell they are very skillful with their limited budget when it mm-hmm. comes to the effects. Um, and also have time for a joke because best screaming when nothing happened because <laughs> things had been happening. Relatable. <laughs> just because he opened the tent. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of terrifying too at the end when Ted is just, you know, she's coloring and she's asking the mm-hmm. um the dragon mask questions and it correct me if I'm wrong. It's not dead Lucy. Mm-hmm. She asked, I was like, how did you go from like, should I use green or blue? And she's like, are you dead Lucy? And I'm like, Ted. <laughs> <laughs> Protect her at all costs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or the double ring assault, which I thought was so cute. Those teens are trying to protect her. So they get the one around her and just in case she disturbs yes, that one, yes. they have another one. <laughs> They've seen Hocus Pocus. <laughs> they have. Oh, I love how well Nancy Drew balances the horror of it with the funniness of it. Yeah. Yeah. But the, at the end of the episode, the double whammy of Nancy asking Carson if he killed Lucy Sable and the look on his face, which is kind of incriminating, to be honest. I know he's kind of like shook, but it's also like, you're not saying anything, my guy. And then um, it was Nick who saw that laura and ace got in a car accident Mm -hmm. which i'm like save ace i know he's fine like because i know he's still on the show but it was still really effective because i was like oh no ace better make it yeah yeah and the fact that he was with laura who you're now starting to doubt and i don't know whether it was just an accident or whatnot we'll find out next week I will say this show, we talked about how the cliffhangers are getting more and more frustrating. I have never in my life wanted to just switch on to the next episode like I did after that one. The thing, though, is I have zero theories. I don't know who I think did anything. Right. I'm just like so in it that like I don't I don't have my own thoughts. I'm just like so captivated that I just I want to know but I have no theories <laughs> I know it's just like they set it up so well that we have like more than one like mini villain to deal with like even if we're just talking about like the the why was I gonna say the humans but I guess the humans <laughs> if, we're just, <laughs> if we're just talking about the humans um you have Laura who may have killed her sister for money and then you have Drew, um, sorry, Carson Drew, who something's fishy about the past. Um, and at this point, I don't even really care about Ryan Hudson. I think that part is done in terms of just except for like, how does the whole Lucy Tiffany thing go yeah. into it? No, I know. And I agree with you. It's funny that you said the humans. I find that's a big issue with a lot of monster movies in that uh, you just want to sit and watch the monsters fight because the human characters aren't that well developed. Whereas on the flip side, Nancy Drew is so good that I wouldn't care if they never did another supernatural storyline again. The characters are so good. The mysteries are so good. And to say that in just what seven episodes, is it's a, it's a really impressive feat to pull off. And the, obviously the Ryan Hudson thing is still being developed as we go along because he wasn't he wasn't even in this episode wasn't he um, and thank god because it would have been no, too much <laughs> this is very true <laughs> but it, all in all like the dynamics and everything is really good you do have a solid murder mystery here and it's not e- it's not even about that murder because there are two sides of that because there's obviously the Lucy Sable murder as well as the Tiffany Hudson one there's also just the family history there's also how do the ghosts and supernatural and undead beings fit into this and i assume that the spirit or whatever it is in the dragon mask is one of those souls that were never really alive to begin with because that was a very weird story to bring up then just to just 
put down. So I assume that'll come back up. There's something in the mask and it's not a, a friendly spirit. So, um, yeah, it's just, I think there's been so many arcs and it's sort of been such a multifaceted story at this point and all of them kind of connected really well in this episode, which is why it kind of feels like it was the mid-season finale. I don't know if it was, but it set the stage nicely for whatever comes next. It definitely felt like the midpoint, but it, it created so much more new story in the process. I'm I have so to tense. say, mm. yeah, and I, this was the last episode that I watched when I first watched it in 2019. <laughs> and I didn't know that because after I finished the episode, I was like, how could anybody not watch the show after this episode? I was like so gripped. And then I looked it up and I was like, this was the last episode that I watched before I gave up on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just so ashamed of myself. <laughs> but we established you just weren't in the right place for Nancy yet. Yeah, there was just too much TV happening in 2019. I was like, something's gotta, I need to let something loose. And unfortunately it was Nancy at that time. Um, but I'm here now and I've yeah. said that before and I'm, oh my gosh, I can't wait to talk about episode eight next week. <laughs> I know. Because they're so smart, by the way. Like, like one last point before we leave Hershey Bay is the um they use they use all parts of the storytelling wheelhouse like um I love the metaphor of and perhaps it was on the nose but if like if you like writing it'd be the um the start of the sinking of the Na- the Nick and Nancy ship happens when an actual ship mm-hmm. a storyline about an actual ship sinking is happening and then they have Roman coins the fall of Rome, the coins are the ones that are, is the last final straw. And I was like, who writes books? Because <laughs> 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 these metaphors are the metaphors you'd use in a novel. You just brought so much like intelligence to this discussion. And now I want to like Google it to see if that's a thing. That's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. Like, I wouldn't I put it past it. these writers. Yeah, I, it, I wouldn't either. Now I'm looking for metaphors like everywhere because I was like, two breakup metaphors? And then the breakup <laughs> actually happens when the coins melt? Yeah, keep us posted on this because I don't I don't know if I'm well-read enough to pick up on these things. But <laughs> <laughs> Okay, now moving on to Stargirl, which which town are we in, Michael? Like where, where are we hopping on the map? Blue Valley, Nebraska. Um, uh, from one murder mystery... To another, um, what I'm going to do here is uh, we've al- I've already given my review of the premiere last week as a spoiler, so I'll talk a little bit about that with more spoilers and then give a sneak preview review of the second episode because I have seen that too. So the season premiere of Stargirl was exactly like I said it would be the start of the murder mystery. The episode was titled The Murder. Um, the JSA reassembled. Um, meanwhile, some of their villains from the ISA are now their besties. And I say that tentatively because two of their former enemies are now their next, or Courtney's next door neighbors. Um, and one of her former enemies who literally tried to kill her many times is now a member of the JSA. So there's a lot of conflict there. And the other members of the Justice Society are like, why are you suddenly now friends with villains? We can't trust these people. They cannot be part of our teams and stop trying to see the best in people. Meanwhile, Courtney is visited by the gambler, who is another villain from season one. But he, unlike the rest of them who helped them stop Eclipso last season, he did not. He has been on the run the whole time. But he's all like, he's all like, I want to turn over a new leaf too. And they're like, no, you're, you're not afforded the same uh, courtesy here because you didn't help us save Eclipso. So 
why, why don't we just arrest you right now? But he promised them that he was on the search for a secret daughter who he didn't know he had, and he wants to be a better person. And he doesn't want his daughter to think that he had abandoned her. And that resonated with Courtney because her father abandoned her. So she was like, give him a chance. But the JSA were not happy that the gambler was back. The ISA were not happy that the gambler was back because they were trying to turn over a new leaf. And here comes one of their old villains. And um, Starman, who originally, who was the original hero who wielded the staff, who died prior to season one, is suddenly back to life. And he's not happy that the gambler is back. So there was a lot, a, a lot of like negativity out there towards the gambler who was just trying to find his uh, long lost daughter. And as the gambler, who's an IT was, was using his laptop to trace his daughter. And then he suddenly, suddenly happened upon cameras that were everywhere in the town. There was one in the Whitmore house. There was one in the high school. There was one in Beth's house. There was one in every member of the JSA's house. Basically, there were cameras all over the place. And there was a camera outside the gambler's trailer. Long story short, somebody is watching everyone in Blue Valley. And the gambler came across it. But before he could do anything about it, he was killed by an unknown entity. But his Um, daughter. Exactly. Um, Meanwhile, the JSA were on their way to confront him and they heard a gunshot. And when they got there, they found... Yeah, 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 they heard the gunshot. It was the gunshot, actually, that they think killed the gambler. And when they arrived there, they found Cindy who was Courtney's former mortal enemy, who was now a member of the JSA, trying to turn over a new leaf and failing miserably. She was standing over the gambler, holding the gun, and she turned around to the JSA and was like, I didn't do it. And that's where the episode ended. So here's Courtney trying to think the best of her former mortal enemy, her former mortal enemy who wants to be good, but is also completely bored by the idea of being a hero. So here's Courtney trying to think the best of her. The rest of the JSA have automatic or no doubt automatically going to be convinced that Cindy is the one who committed the murder. Um, so it was a great episode. There was a lot of tension. There was a lot of uh, build up to the new story. I always say Stargirl's got such a lighthearted, golden age nostalgia kind of vibe about it. But there's also like an, an unexplored eeriness about the town that's lent itself to the whole idea of a murder mystery really nicely. You do see in those old British murder mysteries that the towns are like quaint, but also slightly creepy. So now we're going to see Blue Valley explored in that sense as well. Um, Even with all the superpowers and everything, I do think it's going to lend itself to the arc very nicely because uh, all these characters are really quirky. They're really out there. They're really unusual. And you see that in murder mysteries all the time. You don't know who to believe because everybody's got an agenda and there's definitely the same hair. So I really loved the premiere. I thought it was one of the best episodes that Stargirl's produced. Different, but also similar. And I think if a, if a show can pull that off, if it can try something different, but at the same time, be exactly what you love about it, it's nailed that. And that's what it was. So my sneak preview of episode two is uh, the episode is titled The Suspects. So I'm trying to say this in a way that won't give anything away. From my explanation, and I think you probably figured out that a lot of people did not want the gambler in town. There are a lot of suspects. Um, and I think primarily Cindy is obviously the primary suspect. She was standing over him with the gun and the JSA were already having their issues with her. 
The other suspect is the shed, a former member, a former villain, a former member of the ISA who worked with the gambler. He was not happy to see the gambler back in town. And but last season, the shed helped them stop Eclipso, who was the big villain of the season. So even though he's a bad person, he is turning over a new leaf. He's kind of like that indifferent character that walks the line between good and evil and he'll pick whichever side serves his agenda the best um so the, the shade is now living in blue valley trying to just find a good cup of tea he's a very old-fashioned british man so he's trying to find a decent cup of tea so i personally i don't think he's the one that did it because he went to such a length to try to uh, save everyone from eclipso last season but no doubt he'll be one of the primary suspects also their new neighbors now who also were members of the Injustice Society, the, the Crocs, they're called. Um, no doubt they'll be suspects as well. And then Starman, who was not happy about the shed or the, the gambler being back in town, will he be a suspect even though he's a hero? So basically the suspect is exactly what it says on the tin. I'm not going to give anything away, but it's the start of the investigation. It's all of the team comes together to try to find out who committed the murder. And it's going to be quite an interesting season i'm very excited with by the way it started and i'm looking forward to where it goes but that's you all caught up on the happenings in blue valley i believe cindy I, I believe yes, cindy too. so do i so do i i don't like her at all but i believe her i forgot to watch the episode and once again um michael you have convinced me that i need to watch this episode because it sounds really fun it is really fun. I don't know how it. I forgot to watch it. Like you had so many reminders. I, you know, the day that it, the episode premiered, it was a lot was going on, and then I saw all your reminders, and then I just didn't watch it. But I'm gonna. I need to watch it because it sounds so fun. <laughs> I'm really excited to see what you guys think of it. It's such an Star Girl, such a strange beast. Like I said, it's such a. Um, it's quirky and on paper, it's the perfect comic book TV series. But at the same time, it's written far better than any of the other shows on the network superman at lois aside it's it's written like a streaming show so it's it's just it because it, it, it used to be a streaming show it's far higher quality and i'm really and it's it's not episodic but like i said the murder mystery kind of makes it episodic this year so i'm looking forward to seeing what it's like but and we need to support it yes we do we really do all the support in the world. Everybody tune in. Episode two is next Wednesday, September 7th at 8 p.m. If you don't watch it, leave your TV on the channel. Please get support Stargirl. Into the mole, Michael said quality. And if next star is looking for quality, it's Stargirl. I couldn't have said it better myself. Yes, protect Stargirl at all costs. <laughs> also, I just want to make, make a good point. Yes, it started on the last day of summer. Yes, it's just September. But guys, this means that the fall TV season has officially started. Yeah. We do have to wait six weeks for anything else to join it. But Michael called it. It's fall TV. <laughs> fall TV is upon us. <laughs> Welcome to the new fall TV era. Led by Stargirl. Yes, yes. The Star Spangled Girl is leading the charge. Oh, with her glowing staff. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, nice. But speaking of protecting people at all costs... Um, we have been sitting and waiting because Reed would not tell us anything about In the Dark. So, Reed, uh, catch us up and do we need tissues? I just want to say before you start, I've been thinking about this all week. I do not know this man. I do not know what this man looks like, but I have been rooting for this man. Well, I'm just going to cut to the chase. Max died, y'all. What? Uh, no. Why? <laughs> Yep, he died. Um, I would have much preferred a fake out. 
Um, but it was, yeah, he he rushed in to save Murphy from this guy. I don't want to get too into the thick of it because I don't understand. And then I was like in a blind rage for the last 10 minutes of the episode. Um, but yeah, this bad, bad man picks up a gun and as Murphy and Max are like escaping through an elevator, he shoots the gun and it goes through the crack of the elevator as it's closing and it hits Max. We don't see it. Murphy doesn't hear it because she's like talking to him. She's like so excited. She's like, oh, we got away. We're free. We did it. And uh, he is on the ground dying. They rush him to the hospital. They go right into surgery because it hit him, you know in the worst part possible, like right in his chest. He does not make it. Um, yeah, it's frustrating doesn't even begin to cover it because in this episode, Murphy finally like clears her name. She held up her end of the bargain as a CI. She's free. She's no longer a criminal. She's no longer anything like they, she does what she needs to do. And they were planning their life together. They're engaged. They're going to, you know, move on with their life. And he dies. Um, so, yeah, that happened. And it's definitely not a fake out. He's definitely dead. Um, because the preview is like Murphy trying to avenge his death, which I'm like, why are we doing this in the series finale? <laughs> and we could have had like a nice, happy ending for them. Even though I, I feel like I'm on record saying I don't see how Murphy can get a happy ending, but like I really came around to her and I think she really deserved it this time. But it's just like one more gut punch for her. I have to say, Perry mm -hmm. Matfeld acted so well. I saw a behind the scenes clip the, from the second that she realizes that he was shot. We see it from her perspective. So the whole screen was just what she sees, which is just blurry. Um, and I saw a behind the scenes clip of Perry when they're like rushing him through the hospital with the on the gurney Perry had a like a camera strapped to her chest and like right up here so that it filmed everything from her perspective so she's like acting heartbroken and everything and she has this whole contraption strapped to her as they're running I have to I mean I didn't like how this as a fan I didn't like what happened in the episode but I um I liked seeing her performance it was really great um but yeah he's dead max is dead not maybe get an emotional but i mean i don't know i did not want a <laughs> single scene of but like why would they do that does it feel like shock writing or does it feel I, like later it will work i don't know i have to say though i do understand i might have mentioned it last week i understand why the veronica mars fans were so enraged when the hulu revival in the last episode Veronica and uh, Logan get married and then he he dies like the next day off camera and it just seemed like they gave the character happiness and then just like in an instant for the sake of story they take that away and make her um, devastated and just like open up a whole new uh, arena of trauma for her which felt unnecessary I at the time I didn't really I, I love Veronica Mars, but I did not love Logan. So I was like, yeah, that's fine. Like I watch it for Kristen Bell. I watch it for Veronica. Like I'm fine. But like it, this felt in, on, in the dark. Like I understand where that, like that passion and that outrage came from for, for Veronica Mars. But like this felt so different to me because I was invested in this couple and it was like four years of payoff of them trying to make this work and her trying to not, 
go to jail <laughs> and then just to see it all in like the blink of an eye be taken away from her i i just don't know what i'm just like frustrated and devastated i want to quote tyra banks when she yelled at that girl on america's next top model but my passion has kind of died down because <laughs> I've had some space <laughs> from the episode. And I was like, I was rooting for you in the dark. I was rooting for you. <laughs> I know it's one thing. You do get these characters that thrive when they're put through traumatic experiences. You see it all the time in soaps in particular. But when the show was so close to the end, what? how does it serve the story to take away that character's happiness one more time when you're not even going to get to see the story that unfolds from it? If you know what I mean? Final episodes. Yeah. Beyond Murphy though, like Max didn't deserve that. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, It just doesn't make sense for his story to end like that. I mean, I guess I do want to like reserve like full judgment until I see the full vision and see how the series finale handles this. I guess I'll give them that grace. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, it, it, I don't know. It doesn't feel right for his character to. You could say he sacrificed his life for Murphy, but that's not really what happened technically, because he had already saved her, and then he got shot after they were. I don't know. It was just like, it's like, why did that? I don't know why that needed to happen. Even if it, he did get shot, I would have liked to see him pull through. Mm-hmm. But that's not what happened. We instead saw her heartbroken saying her last goodbyes to him and i was like it'll be cheap if they walk back on this (laughs) Mm. and do we know for a fact that the series finale gets to serve as a series finale or it's not like a cliffhanger one yeah they um they filmed two. Oh yes 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 see they were wise that's good yeah (laughs) so we're (laughs) getting the the alternate ending with closure can't wait to see what that is uh, <laughs> probably like a graveside scene with some flowers unfortunately it, if they make her pregnant with his baby Mm-mm. i think that I, well expect a, a new rant next week yeah that'd be very cliched yep so moral of the story i'm not happy <laughs> rest in peace max <laughs> you didn't deserve it I'm so sorry this happened in the what is that was that the penultimate episode right yep yep okay well reserving judgment but again this floor is all yours once the series finale has aired (laughs) (laughs) and we'll probably have a discussion about the things we put characters through at the end of series for shock yeah, moving into our roast. I won't roast in the dark. I'll hold that for next week, maybe. Um, I, I want to roast the CW, because when are we not? <laughs> <laughs> We're not giving 90210 a, a fully proper ending. Um, our good pal, Mark Pedowitz, who's a longtime champion of giving longtime shows a, a satisfactory conclusion, as he said, for 90210. That ultimately wasn't the case in Nanotino didn't get a shortened sixth season to tie things up. They got, as I've heard from Anna Lynn and Shanae, I think they found out the day they were filming like the last scenes of the series finale that it was going to be it. So they had to like rewrite things to like make it the scene that you guys watched on the tarmac. Like, I I don't know if that was going to happen or if they were just like, we need to make something really big happen. Um, So yeah, I, I, not that I wanted kind of 2-0 to keep going because as you guys know I'm a 
I'm a proponent of when a show has run its course, we don't keep it going just because, because then it, you run into a Winter Hill situation where like those mm-hmm. last three seasons were, in my opinion, didn't need to happen. So like, I'm glad I got the ending that I got, but I just wish they would have um, given it a, a chance because Naomi doesn't end up with who I, she needs to end up with. She ends up with some guy she met in season five, which is like, we can't really, like, it's a fine relationship, but it's like for a series ending, it's like not who you, it, 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 it just takes the wind out of your sails a little bit. So who should have it been? Sorry. Um, she got married in, I think at the end of season four, beginning of season five to her high school boyfriend from season three, Max, he was a quote nerd. So that's a ship that I really love, Naomi and Max, because um, she didn't ever see herself with like a nerd. She saw herself with like the older college guy who was a business guy. And like she didn't need to marry up because she is rich and she was going to build her own empire. But like that's who she saw herself with. But then she falls in love with Max and her whole world turns upside down and they get married, but they get divorced. I don't know why it happened so quickly. And I never understood that, um, but they never got a chance to reconcile which I always thought they were going to be endgame and Annalyn even like filmed her own ending where Naomi and Max end up (laughs) together (laughs) that's cute yeah um but I will say the CW did give the show a retrospective like an hour-long retrospective which is like I guess the least they could have done to honor a show that wasn't the most popular like it wasn't on Gossip Girl level but the fact that they gave them an hour-long retrospective to like look back and for the cast to talk about the show i'll toast to that like thank you for doing that <laughs> as much <laughs> as i would have liked to have seen 10 more episodes to wrap everything up um but yeah from the roast to the toast uh cheers to 90210 on yes. on i think proving people wrong and lasting for five seasons over 100 episodes like in uh, this day and age, I think living up to like half of the legacy of the show that you were like in the shadow of is a really big achievement. Yes. And it will go down forever as an underrated CW hit that everyone should watch or revisit if they walked away from it. It's really fun. Some of the like the dialogue and the stories don't hold up in today's um lens but like most things don't and it's just fun you gotta like go into it knowing that this is gonna be (laughs) a wild ride (laughs) yes and for the nostalgia of it because they don't do dialogue like that anymore and when i heard it i was like oh oh okay yes it is the late 2000s (laughs) right yeah that was my favorite thing about watching it like I didn't watch it when it was on, but I remember when it was on and like, it's still, it reminded me so much of that era. The nostalgia is there. And I think that's one of the things that you can look back upon it fondly, even if like Reed said, the first season isn't its best. There were references to different generations, references to different types of TV, but all in all, I think the underlining point is it reminded me a lot of the late 2000s. And if you want to revisit a nostalgic piece of history, I think that show is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. It's a millennial right time capsule. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it really that. is. <laughs> uh, the music, which you can't hear on streaming, apparently, but <laughs> <laughs> it's all just like I just loved it because, like, it was like my show. I watched it from fifteen to twenty-one, I think, and that's such a formative time to to have a show that you just watch every episode of, and to have that in that time of your life. 
Um, so it's really special to me. Thank you for the crash course read. You're welcome. I'm yes. open to a part two if we want to keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> Without question. Yes, <laughs> Give us a new we, syllabus. <laughs> yes, we do have to revisit because it was wild. And I will be watching again at some point. Sam. All right, well, Sam. that is... <laughs> <laughs> With that note, this is the end of our 90210 pod, unfortunately. But... As you heard, we will be returning at some point. <laughs> um, so we are the CW Spiral. I'm Sabrina. I'm Michael. And I'm Lee. Bye, y'all. <laughs> <laughs>